I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Gary Mansfield, and welcome to the Mizog Art Podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by banging these bongos. Hello and welcome to episode number 21 of the Mizogart podcast. This week I'm speaking to Maeve Doyle. Now Maeve's name came up time after time when I was asking friends for recommendations of people I could have on the podcast that weren't artists but worked within the industry. People who were sort of integral to an artist outside of the studio practice. I'm speaking of people that could be a gallerist, a critic, an art framer, a paint manufacturer. Similar to the charity and good cause episodes that I'd done with Cafe Art and the Kersler Trust. There was three names that appeared more than others, and Maeve was one of those. Now, I'd followed Maeve on social media for, for quite some time. I knew that she had her own art show on Soho Radio called Private View. I knew that she appeared on um, BBC Radio London as an art correspondent. And I knew that she was linked some way into Maddox Gallery. But before asking her if she was able to participate in a show, I'd done a little bit of research and found out that she used to have her own gallery called Doyle Devere. She later went on to become part of the notorious Bank Robber Gallery before that sort of merged with Maddox, where Maeve was an art advisor and later become a director. And as I mentioned at the end of last week's episode, when people spoke of Maeve, they all said she had a great use of art language. They said that she was very serious when she had to be serious, but also great fun to be around. And that if you get the opportunity to sit down and exchange art stories, Maeve Doyle was the one to do it with. And I must say... All of that was spot on when I come to meet her myself. We spoke for about half an hour before we even started the podcast. During the podcast, we went off on that many tangents. I had to spend more time editing the show than we did talking about it, just to bring it into an hour's worth of podcast. I've met Maeve since recording this podcast, but I'll talk about that a bit more during the outro. I don't want to give any spoilers, so just come with me and have a listen for yourself. Here's the conversation I had with Maeve Doyle. So I have seven questions that I ask each artist. I've adapted them, as you can see, just a little bit for you, for you and for people who are non-artists. So I'm in the lower gallery of what used to be the Bank Robber Gallery, which is now Maddox, with Maeve Doyle, and you are... A director of Maddox. Excellent. Uh, I am... Art expert for BBC London nice. Radio with Joe Good. I've been doing that for well, years. Well, the first question is, sorry to interrupt, how would you explain Maeve Doyle to someone that doesn't know you? So if you just carry on where you were. Uh, I started in art school and I was painting 
and uh, got a degree in sculpture, I got a degree in experimental arts, I got a degree in theory. So I was going through every art practice possible to find something that I was good at that could sort of um, answer my big questions, yes, yes. which were, you know, what's the purpose of life? Why are we here? Uh, what, what is it all about? Uh, I was the youngest of four children. My parents were Irish Catholic immigrants to Canada. Everybody else fulfilled the needs of being a lawyer, being a doctor, having kids. And I sort of was beautifully neglected. And through that neglect, uh, I got into the art world and just let myself explore it without any criticism because I don't think anyone really paid attention <laughs> to what I was doing. I was yeah. 10 years younger than the next sibling. Um, so how would I explain it? Someone who really understands the art feels alive when you're around the art and has a, a huge capacity of sharing it with anyone else who wants to connect with artists, nice. either as a collector, as an artist trying to create a visual language that communicates things that words or music cannot. Mm. Uh, you know, we're looking at retinas. Clearly, retina can't communicate verbally what he can in a painterly yeah. process. Uh, we're looking at Dan Baldwin. Dan Baldwin could spend hours trying to tell you what one of his pictures would tell you in a few glances. And, and when you have the time, you go back and look at Dan's work for longer. Yeah. And more of the conversation unravels itself. So I really have become someone who bridges the gap between the artist and the collector, the artist and the art world, the artist and the speculator. Um, you know, I, I hope that I represent artists in the best way possible. So when you, when you finished your first degree, yeah, when did you decide that you wanted to go into the art direction from there? Well, I, it was never that clear, and I um, didn't get financial support from my parents, so I had to work, and I worked. I came to London on a three-month Eurorail pass. Do you remember? Do you remember? Your, you don't remember Eurorail Well, but you used to get a three-month Eurorail pass, and I was determined to see, after leaving the Ontario College of Art, every single art museum I could in Europe to fill in what I was learning about in textbooks. Yeah. Three months turned into 10 years. And so I didn't go back <laughs> to Canada for 10 years. And I think your question was, when did I decide to keep going back yeah. to school? No, yeah, or yeah. I, I um, The world kept changing and I thought, well, I'll go <clears> back <throat> and I'll get this degree and it will help me make sense of things. Or I'll go back and I'll get this degree. To tell you the truth, I love studying. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I, what I didn't realize as a Canadian was that there was a world around you that knew that art was the most important thing in yeah, life. Yeah. And when I moved to London, that struggle went. The, the, and what year was this? Well, that was in the late 80s. Yeah. So a very different London. Yeah. That was a London pre-Freeze Art Fair, a London yeah. pre-Tate Modern, a London that was... Well, I was working at the Hayward when the bombs went off in the city. Yeah. We could feel it shaking across yeah, wow. the the bridge. Well, artists weren't really known then, were they? You know, there was American artists... The centre of the art world at the time, and I just reviewed this with Kenny Schachter last week to see if I was remembering things correctly. The centre of the art world at the time was Germany, so Cologne, and New York. Hmm. So it was pre-9-11, pre... -9 -11, pre everything yeah, 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 and yeah. the big art people at the time were Jeff Koons was yeah. still he was with the Ciccolini at the time mm. and creating a kind of glamour and here it was god I'm trying to think back we had a Jeff Wall show there was Bacon, Jessica Stockholder yeah Bacon was still around Freud was still mm. around um, Damien Hirst was a student at the time yeah, and he was riding his... I also had a job at the London Graphic Centre on Longacre and he was riding his bike and buying art supplies. I think Tracy and Sarah had opened the shop in East London. Yeah, yeah. It was really like Sochi had opened St. Yeah, John's so, Wood so and just, that oil yeah. piece was there. Yeah. Mike Kelly had an installation there of all the teddy bears. I so it was just bubbling and starting at the time. You just knew it just was really exciting. 
really oh, exciting. I think my rent at the time was 40 pounds a week. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that'd be had to pay it in, bill nowadays. Had to pay it in cash. Oh, nice. But what I'm getting at is I think I kept studying because I wanted to be around people who wanted to talk about art. And London was a place where it wasn't such a big struggle. Um, I was still pulled to go back to Canada because of family obligations. And yeah. I think the way I bridged the gap was to go back into school, mm. get a degree. Yeah. And, and that was in Canada, you went back for your degree? I think I started a lot of them here. Uh, it was a different time, you couldn't get part-time work as yeah, easily. Yeah. And then I finished it in Canada at yeah. uh, University of British Columbia and Emily Carr School of Art. Mm. So then, so you, when did you vi revisit London again? Well, I was coming back every year. And... Um, then I had some family issues, and then someone I knew from when I was a teenager uh, asked if I, he could, I had been collecting work with him, working with Patrick Painter. I was working in public relations and had a television show in Vancouver called Style Guide uh, with Mike and Fiona of Urban Rush, and was teaching at John Casablanca. It's just everything you could do to kind of keep the balls yeah, in the air right. in a non-art capital. Uh, and building a collection for a London person through Patrick Painter from LA and Vancouver. Long story short, the person in London asked if he could finance a gallery for me. Oh, wow. I just said yes. Of course. The Lehman Brothers hit, and that was delayed for another year. So in 2009, after traveling around the world looking for the right space, we went to Cape Town, we went to Switzerland, we went to London, we went to Germany, we went everywhere looking for the right space. We found... Ledbury Road, number 30 Ledbury Road, yeah. right across from uh, Beach Bank of Babylon, and opened Doyle de Vere. Nice. And that was the beginning of my, the second phase of yeah. my London story. And what Everybody of, walked in. I what sort of artist was you showing, showing at, at that point? Well, uh, we opened with Rafe Edelberg, who mm. is a Vancouver artist who works with fashion and art. And were closed down by the police because of an obscenity. <laughs> but it was a great opening. It opened over a whole Was it a good bit of publicity? Yeah, it was down? fantastic. Excellent. It was fantastic. And Rafe was seasoned professional. He was great at that. <laughs> there were three galleries we opened over. It was a massive event. And then nothing sold. Oh. Nothing oh. sold. Shit. Which was startling because, of course, Notting Hill was at Mayfair and... I hadn't, you know, there was just so many, I didn't have a collector base. The second show things started to happen, started to the third show things started to happen. And uh, slowly I sort of built a following around Vancouver, or around London. But the person who changed everything for me and for my sales was Bank Robber and Russell Young. Mm. The minute I started putting Russell Young's into Doyle de Vere, I could have sold a Marilyn crying in diamond dust every day. Nice, nice. And that was the best thing that happened. That yeah. then Annie Lennox walked in, wanted to buy things. Uh, Jason Priestley wanted to buy. They won't nice. mind me saying. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's people I won't tell you about. Yeah. Claudia Schiffer walked in. I mean, Notting Hill was a different place than it had been ten years before yeah. in 2009, but a different place than it was now yeah, as yeah, well. Definitely. That closed for whatever reason, and you be. You started with Ben Robert. Yeah, my so we I was developing a great selling relationship with Robin Barton and Bank Robber, and we were moving a lot of pieces. We did some Derek Santini, we did Banksy work. Um, again, the Russell Young machine was just flat out. There probably I would guess that there isn't a house in Eaton Square or not in <laughs> that doesn't have a Russell Young and. Uh, also, the Damien Hurst spots at the time. We couldn't, yeah. we couldn't not sell them. You couldn't right. open the doors without selling them. Yeah. And so when I went my separate way with my business partner, Nick Ashley was across the street with Ashley Close. He, was a, he is and was a collector. And Robin Barton was around the corner with Tiny Bank Robber on Lonsdale. Yeah. He only opened two days a week and was in the rest of the time in Candor in California. And Robin said, well, why don't we work together? 
we found another space on Lonsdale Road and started selling from there. But it wasn't a space that was open to the public. It was private sales at mm. the time. Mm. And that generated the option and opportunity to do art fairs, which I hadn't experienced before. So Miami, New York, uh, we didn't do Switzerland. We, anyway, you get the gist. We had the chance to do the art fairs. Mm. And they were different then yeah. as well. So opening up new doors and avenues. Right, yeah. Yes, and being someone who worked as a painter, speaking on behalf of the painter, I could really empathize with what the artists were going through. And it was just at the beginning of people getting into art to... I guess the word is speculate on investment. Mm. So I was starting to see people who were buying work, ironically because of Banksy, they were buying, it was before pest control, they were buying work because they knew it was going to be cheap to begin with and they could make a fortune. Now I'm sure Banksy would be mortified if he thought he was the person who was responsible for triggering in London people wanting to buy low and Mm. sell high. Obviously, when he found out about that, he came crashing down on it. But yeah, the Banksy sales were a big eye-opener, too. So we kept that space open in Notting Hill until about 2013, and then found this space in Shepherd Market, which was Bank Robber. We saw Girl with Balloon Wall from here. We did No Ball Games, The Wall, Uh, Stop and Search, Kissing Coppers, I mean, this location on its own was iconic. We used to open the blind here and there'd be a crowd standing around <laughs> to see the Banksy wow. wall, for better or yeah, worse. Yeah. And like all work from Bank Robber, the controversy would be people would either love you or threaten your life. Yeah, yeah, nice. Because you could, I mean, it's changed a bit here since Bank Robber, yes, hasn't it? Yes, yes. The Maddox brand has a specific look, which works for them, and it works for us. And uh, that's different from what Bank Robber is, but it's consistent throughout all of the so six galleries. So how long galleries. was you with Bank Robber? I guess seven, six, seven six years. Six years, yeah. And then it went into Maddox. Maddox. Are you able to talk and about Ro- transition, or is the, that yes, yes? The transition was. Or how it came about. Was so Robin and I worked alone forever, mm. and then when I started with, it started with Maddox being collectors. Mm. And then I opened up Westbourne Grove in Notting Hill. So left Mayfair, I went to Notting Hill to open up the massive place in Westbourne Grove. It was such an incredible experience to work with a massive team of people. To go from working very much alone to working with a group of a huge support system Mm. of James Nichols, Cordelia de Freitas, Jane Rudd, like people that were just there for you if anything yeah, went wrong yeah. when you were used to doing everything yeah. on your own so frees up a lot of time for you as well mentally and physically yeah yes however you also realize that you're not a maverick and you yeah, have to do things yeah. within so i would you're, I you're like within parameters now rehumanized yeah. so then i was missing mayfair and and fee love it took over at westbourne Grove as the director there and now the director of all the London galleries and Gestad and I started doing the education program with the sales team mm. um, so I guess I needed, I needed after years of having a certain amount of freedom to keep that going to keep seeing all the artwork yeah. so the sales team is big and I take them out twice a week to look at art and talk about art nice. and do studio visits with the Connor brothers, with Dan Baldwin. Yeah, Maddox has been an absolute uh, joy. Yeah. Uh, they're probably all a generation younger than I am. <laughs> different ideas, different thoughts. It's been a breath of fresh air. And if you're able to accept other people's ways of working, it can really prosper if, you, if you're open enough for other people's ideas. Some people are on a track... And, you know, they're convinced that's the way to go. And even as someone who's perceived as being quite open, there's things that you don't even realise are closed. And that's me talking about me. And so I was... It's just like an artist collaborating with another artist to make one piece of work. There's a lot of give and take. It was the best thing that could have happened to me. It was just such a joy to be 
uh, around new blood, new ideas, new ways of doing things. And what I had uh, sort of parked as an idea and what Maddox really is, is they came in as rule breakers. Mm -hmm. And although the art world is all about social stratospheres and, you know, certain rules and the, the, the kind of gatekeepers of auction houses and, and dealers and critics and curators, they do love a rule breaker. Yeah, of course. And when Maddox came in breaking all the rules mm. and putting things on Instagram and being very out there with what they were thinking and full transparency and talking about investment, it was just... It was just great. Yeah. It was uh, It was almost democracy. A whole new way of thinking. A whole new way of yeah. thinking. The artists loved it. Uh, the artists love it. Mm. Yeah. It was. It's so. The most interesting thing is, in three years, they they have LA, Gestad. Yeah, just like four in London. London. Yeah. And um, it's been good to get out of the driver's seat. And who's your and share my knowledge and. And uh, I presume that they're absorbing your knowledge, the, yeah. the new guys you're working with. Yeah, I mean, to tell you the truth, I'm probably a bit of a pain. I think they really like selling work. Mm. They're very driven salespeople. And, and when I do manage to pull them away from sales, <laughs> then it's a breath of fresh air to walk into a Rauschenberg show at Taddeus Because before director, you was art advisor for... Yes. For several years. Yeah, I worked with Patrick Painter. I worked with Monty Clark. I worked here on private collections. Mm. Apart from the Maddox artists, who do you think is one of the... Or, or, I would say, who's your favourite artist? Or the artist that you looked at when you was first getting into art? Hmm. Do you know, I think we talked before we started this, and I'll say that... For a young person to commit themselves to life drawing classes, generally there's been a crisis of some kind. Mm. And I'd say, I'd say that I always believe that the art world makes you happy. And I say that because mm. I feel I was asking a lot of deep questions as a young person. And as a result of that, kind of maybe got a bit lost yeah. in what mattered and what didn't matter. And I think the art world, um, yeah, the art world was a type of medicine for me. Mm -hmm. So when you're a tortured youth, the people you look at are Edward Munch, yeah, yeah, Van Gogh, people do themselves, Francis Bacon, yeah, and. They're talking about the things that, when you're young, nobody wants you to talk yeah, about. Yeah. They want you to grow up, get a job, yeah. be secure, so they won't have to worry about yeah. you anymore. And they're shouting out all of those And you're just worrying them more hmm. with this art life, and yeah. what are you doing? This isn't, you need a job. Yeah. That's a, that, that's a good, a good um, trio of artists there. I would, and I think I still look at all of them. See, I see their work and just, uh, that they, their work makes me feel happy, but you know that it's coming from a more or less a tortured place, isn't it? But the torture is a torture that's embraced because when you have the energy and the mental vigor and commitment and you know how much time it takes in a studio to spend with these thoughts, you realise that it's tortured, but it's not negative. Yeah. There's no... They may have explored depression, but you can't function at mm. that level. And it definitely shouts as well, doesn't it? Yes. So if, if there's an obligation you feel to be happy every day as a way of living, and you're not happy every day, the art world will let you speak about things that give your voice a place to talk that isn't upsetting everyone. Mm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> so you can talk about things like, oh, I'm in love with you, but I don't like the feeling of being trapped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Edward Monk, yeah. all the vampires, or Vincent van Gogh, uh, I'd like to relate to the world, but I'm so consumed with self-loathing that I can't of, stand anyone. They're yeah. expressing all of our hidden thoughts and, and you know, the things that we try to hide away, they, they express them loud, don't they? they and, and so through that, you kind of get better. Yeah. 
you've had obviously you've had thousands of artworks go through your hands more or less what are the standout ones for you as an artwork not not necessarily the ones that you've fought hard to obtain and and sell but but the ones that you've liked as an artwork your favorite piece of art that you've sold that you've i've been really lucky not and i don't know if everyone can say this but i've never had to sell anything i don't love mm. and i think you know Patrick Painter and Bank Robber and they all have Maddox they all have a degree of you're not selling anything you don't love and you wouldn't want to live with I don't know if I could really pick a favourite there's people I like working with because I, I know that they live and breathe the art world I loved working with Patrick Painter I still love working with Patrick Painter every part of him exists through the art world uh, I love working with bank robber because all of the imagination that kind of doesn't exist in the art world can be curated through that doesn't exist in the normal world can be curated through the art world Mm. Uh, Stefan Kessler who's another rogue, all of these people have bad sides uh, uh, these kind of rogues, these people who are outsiders in the art world through your, your time in the art world isn't there, it is the people on the fringes and the marginalised even. And then when they get into the art world, all of that thing that doesn't make them part of society is neutralised. Mm. They're, they're, they have a place. Yeah, yeah, they find their own... Damien Hurst was terrible when he was young. He was badly behaved. <laughs> oh, no, We've yeah. hit on Tracy and yeah. we're being polite, but she's terrifying. Of course, of course. I mean, I think many, many of these kind of great artists... Are terrible citizens. <laughs> so they, they take themselves out of society citizens. and put themselves in there. And then own. they become wonderful. <clears throat> they become the person who tells you to paint. They're, they're they went the like, like I was saying about myself. Preci- they're allowed to speak. Yeah. Yeah. What I was about to say, you know, like in my um, background being coming from prison, in society is frowned upon, as we were talking earlier. In the art world, it's a thing. badge of honour. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's um, you know, people. When I was at university, people were struggling to find a sort of essence or a story or a narrative to run through their work. I walked into university with one, and I, I was silly enough for the first year or so trying to push mine away because I'd spent seven years in jail. So I'm trying to forget all of that because I'm out and free now. I want to forget that, but. Not the old ones, everything's backwards. Yeah, I've got to drag it all through my life with me, you know. So. Well, I guess what I'm saying isn't backwards. What I mean is, I think one of the things that unites artists and what you've found in the art world, if I can be presumptuous, there's an understanding that the world is made up of a set of rules that we weren't there to create. Mm. And artists are kind of like, wait a minute, it's only right because politicians and businesses and advertising are saying it's right. So the art world gets together and they kind of go, yeah, those guys, they just make up these rules. Let's do it our way. Yeah. Collect together and, and talk about different Because the art world I've found is predominantly just a load of nice people. They may have really? come from all different backgrounds, but it's as if you all sort of um, clock in as an artist and get given a, a little pack of uh, cards with a rule on each one to follow. And we all tend to follow most of them and are nice people. I mean, if you get to spend your day talking about hues of colour, mm. yes, shapes of line, and talking fabrics... Of, talking of that, where, where do you go for a bit of solace? When, when you hang up your art director hat or your art advisor hat, where do you go to sort of... Well, I go to galleries. I go to galleries every day with people. Nice. Uh, I love it. I'd love to teaching the prisons that mm. we were talking about earlier when when you see people light up when they look at art that they felt wasn't accessible because of one or two words you might say to them uh, I'll give you an example one of the people who started at Maddox recently came without an art background which is terrific because they just know it's great work and, mm. and they're going to sell and they're open to everything and we were at Martin Creed's Toast yeah. at Hauser and Worth yeah. So myself and the person who I'll leave unnamed are looking at Lily Cole on the screen in Martin's room at Hauser and & Worth and in walks a performance artist 
who screams, drops to the floor, and then gets up and walks out. <laughs> and this full-grown man in a cashmere coat with his hair slicked back looks over at me and said, if I, from Essex, if, I, if you weren't with me, I would have left. I would have been <laughs> so terrified. So this, this unsettling part of the art world can terrify yeah. even... Yeah, I mean, it's just fantastic. Yeah. Things like that make my day. So I, I do go to yoga. I do go to the movies. But after work, I love going with people to galleries. Excellent. Excellent. Saying about that guy there. That was such a good I'll story. I've mentioned this on here. I, I hope will, Martin hears it. I will probably cut this out because I've mentioned it a couple of times on here. On my first show that I was talking about, Face Value it's called, when I was damaging the work, it's looking at how people perceive people when they first view them you know like they they know I'm a, if I walked in I you know pronounce myself as a criminal which you know obviously isn't going to happen but on paper if they know that I'm turning up I'm an ex-criminal ex-prisoner you have preconceived ideas about people and hopefully after a few moments I'll push most of them to one side I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. At my show, which was to do with change of identity, I had every work was getting damaged, as I said. Um, one artist um, donated a baseball bat, which was painted on enamel, Joan of Arc, with her hands going behind. So she was at the stake. So, Oof. in the middle of the gallery, it was a long, narrow gallery, the Strand Gallery, and it's, there was a, a pole, a post, a support structural post going up in the middle of the gallery, maybe a foot wide. And like when people get burnt, like Katie Piper may have um, um, experienced, they put cling film around a burn, don't they? So, I just wrapped this um, baseball bat around this post, so it's like an arm that's wrapped. And just behind it, about maybe six feet behind it, was a neon by Corti. Um And it, it, it was called Rock and Roll Biker. And in neon, it had sex and drugs and rock and roll. And that never got damaged. And nor did this baseball bat. The private view was from 6 to 8.30. At 7 o'clock, these bikers turned up outside. And there was five bikers all revving their engines, like really loud. People are going, what's That's going fantastic. on? So then all of a sudden, all these bikes just stopped silent. And it was silent in the gallery. And the gallery had a window on in the middle and a window at the end. And you can see these bikers who parked outside the windows purposely. Then all of a sudden, the first biker walked in, he took his helmet off, and he just walked expressionless, walked through this very long, narrow gallery with the other bikers behind him. One had, you know, those masks yes. that they wear with a, like a skull face. Yes. Another one had his helmet on. Another one had his helmet off, but all expressionless. They just walked in the gallery, snakes down the end. Everyone parted. You heard someone dropped a glass, and he just walked up. He walked past this pole with the bar, uh, with the baseball bat on it. It was clean filmed. He's grabbed it. He ripped it off of there, and this is all obviously part of what I'd arranged. He'd gone up to this neon. And he went, Joan of Arc, which was the name of the baseball bat. Joan of Arc, meet rock and roll biker. And then he just put the baseball bat through this um, £8,000 neon. And then that Did you choreograph this? Yeah. So this was your performance piece? Yes. Wow. Um, and, <laughs> and you're probably thinking, I can do this and not get it. Yeah, so they've smashed this. And then the That's idea, he wasn't, he wasn't meant. So now he's damaged that and the, the, baseball, the baseball bat and the neon. 
all the glass fell to the floor and it was like it was raining this, this very thin glass and he was supposed to throw the bat down and then walk out expressionless. Although, because he's, he wasn't a performance artist, he's a biker, but he's a friend, he'd been a friend of mine for 30 years. Yeah. And he's, I know he's a very nice family man, but because he had the denims on and the, the jacket with the colours on it, people presumed he was nasty, which is what I wanted. That's why I wanted him yeah. expressionless. Yeah. So that when they walk in, people go, oh, these are trouble. But they're not, they're family, they all had families, they were all nice guys. It just made everyone else, and especially where he was smashing at the end. So when identity politics are at play, it's an instant visual, yeah. is what you're saying. Exactly. So and he was meant to damage the bat at the end and throw it, but he handed it to me and went, here you go, go, and walked out smiling. So I said to him, why did you do that, Mac? He said, because I turned round, he said, and all I could see was eyeballs and tonsils. Yeah. Where yeah. He said, and I didn't want to frighten. He said, I, I weren't there to Lesson. frighten people. So I'd done what I just thought and just smiled. And then I saw everyone else smile because they, then they knew that it was part of the, it was a show. So what I think is what you think. And I think if you let it, art can change your life. Mm. I think it can transform you. I think it can help you have greater empathy as a person. Definitely. I think it can make you more curious about well, these people that you normally wouldn't meet. They come back in afterwards. Like they, they went out as part of their performance. Everyone clapped. Everyone was talking about it. Then the bikers come back in, had a drink, you know, right. a bottle of beer. And they was like the stars of the show. People were going up to them. And th these are just normal working guys, manual jobs from Dagenham. Who are, and, and two of the boys, I think it was two of them, were Mac's children. Um, like Mac's probably 55 now, 53 I think. Um, so his children are sort of like mid-twenties possibly. They had people from the art world talking to what they just figured were these rotten bikers and the two had come together and that's another thing I like about the art world being the do like the child of Irish immigrants who always felt misplaced mm. I think my parents were post-war pre I don't know but they remember signs like no dogs no rats no Irish do you? Yeah, I So they remember. I always used to think my mother was being dramatic no, and no. all Angela's ashes about it. No, up until the eighties, it was still happening. I think that's why they love the Kennedys so much. In, in Irish families, you don't hear any of the negative side no. of the Kennedys. You're no. just like, wow. Yeah, of course. But back to that. I, so thanks for saying that because I wondered if she was being dramatic. No, no I wondered if it being on pubs. What? So they always have a sort of an inferiority complex and. The art world would be people who didn't have keys because they didn't have a house and they were couch surfing mm. with a lot of charisma, yeah, yeah. mixing with tinted win window, bodyguard laden billionaires. Mm. And that is very special. I, I feel like it's a patronizing thing to say, but it's not. The art world is a really special place. And mm. I know it gets sent up and criticised and it's still one of the last democratic places mm -hmm. where people will mix in the same room and want to talk to each other yeah, yeah that's what I liked that's what I, I know before we started this recording when I said like that I would be invited to a private view by the artist first year at university I just got out of prison and I'm walking into like flowers gallery for instance where one of the artists has said, you know, I've got a private view, pop down, say hello. I did feel like I was walking into a world where I wasn't, not well, not I wasn't welcome, but I did think I had to bang quite loudly on the door to be let in, you know, even though I'd... And a shout out to Flowers, Astrid who works there is very warm and welcoming, oh, but it is a cork street. Mm. back to the Victorian ages gallery mm. and Flowers happens to be quite warm and lovely but imagine had you walked into one of the places which will remain unnamed that are off street level yeah. not at all welcoming no one looks up to say hello yeah. Yeah. it's a terrifying I mean we talked to be off air about Kate Bryan who's an exceptional spokesperson head of acquisitions at Soho House writer She's just a great harbinger of goodwill for art Definitely. and artists. Her yeah. sister, Gina, is an artist. I mean, I can't say enough about how much she um, creates interest for artists. And mm. she's putting her particular focus on women artists uh, with great reason. If you have the chance to listen to her talk or read her books, please do. 
But I remember listening to a talk of hers during Freeze and she said, you know, I've got a budget of something like six million pounds a year to buy art and I still feel yeah, not eligible to yeah. enter the galleries. Yeah. So don't let it bother you. Hmm. So you now that's be... perception because that's not reality. Yeah. Having worked on both sides of it, the galleries are dying for people to come in. And I wonder if, because sometimes not many come in, people are just sort of phased out. They look great, yeah. but they're half yeah, well, as you, as in a saying, coma. As we were saying earlier, you know, Instagram is, is like, it's the biggest art gallery in the world, isn't it's it? Helped. It's helped. It's been so good for artists. It's been so good for the art world. It's been terrifying for people who like to keep the secrets and keep the art world for themselves. However, they've had to adjust. Um, we're looking at Retina here. We, we look at the Connor brothers. They all have people who may not be able to access their work otherwise, following them mm. on Instagram. Definitely. And they pursue a relationship with them on Instagram. Mm. Maddox has a relationship that's with people on got, Instagram. That's how I got Dan Bogle. A great one. That's yeah. how I got, got in touch with Dan. It wasn't via Maddox. I, I see him online. I've loved his work for ages. And then I just hit him up. I hit him up on the first. He wasn't able to do my first show. Um, but I hit him up when the second one came about. And I said, look, I'm doing the second one. Are you free? And so the and beauty... Like most artists, if they like the concept and possibly the way I've put myself forward... Um, which is normally just from an honest stance, um, it sort of resonates with some, and he was brilliant, yeah. Dan is brilliant. Mm. And I'll tell you what you don't know, Gary, is Dan's quite shy. I've known him for over a decade. He doesn't talk to everyone, so mm. it's a massive compliment to you that he spoke to you. I don't want to be yeah, sycophantic, but he's quite shy. Yeah, he's I've seen him years. not talk to people, like, run off, like not. Mm. So this is really good. I mean, Dan's full of art world stories and... I know he believes that art saved his life and he and Annie have a great place in Sussex and mm. what I want to say about Instagram and this kind of communication is an artist doesn't have to pay London rent to be part of the scene yeah. they can now live somewhere that's a little bit cheaper a little yeah. bit nicer and connect with the scene mm. through Instagram yeah and I mean let's not take it away from Twitter and Facebook you know they, they were the sort of the, the prior ones but it does give the artist a little bit of connection with something outside the studio because most artists are in their studio several hours for you know a few days a week, maybe five to six days a week. And it can be a lonely place sometimes. Terribly, yeah. terribly. I mean, th that would have killed me. I yeah. couldn't have done it. I mean, that's why I got into making the podcast because I would listen to... I know um, you, you're the correspondent for Radio London, but for I Joe listen Good. to Robert Elm. I listen to Robert every day too. yeah. No, he's good. I like Robert Elms. See, I would just listen to talk-based radio because the music puts me off. So I would listen to Radio London or Radio 4. And then I got into podcasts a couple of years ago. And then, yeah, that just... I don't listen to radio too much now, really. So uh, my favourite is Ben Luke on the art newspaper. Mm, I don't... Please listen to him. Ben Luke on the art newspaper is so good. He goes over everything. Nice. Uh, he went over art... Art Basel, Miami, uh, the Leonardo, any unanswered question, the shredded Banksy, he had Jonathan Chung on from Maddox, wow. head of acquisition, who was there. Um, if you can listen to Art Newspaper, please do. Yeah, and I think I'm going to get Ben Luke on my show. I, I'm a mm. massive fan of him. And the other one that's fantastic, my favourites, and I listen to all the time, is David Werner, David's Werner Dialogues. Oh, I don't know. So Stan Douglas in conversation with a musician. Mm. Rose Wiley in oh, conversation nice. with Russell Tovey. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. The best ones for me, art newspaper, David's Werner Dialogues. Mm. Yeah, so Please, one, next time we meet, tell me you've listened the, to one of them. Well, I was getting... When you just said the Rose Wiley with Russell Tovey, yeah. I thought that there was another one I thought he was going to say on Radio 4 where um, Rose um, was speaking to Stuart Lee, the comedian... Oh, so I'm going to listen to that. Oh, yeah, that was good. That was just, I think it was, I think it's called The Artist. Oh, I've, I've got it on the phone, I'll show you afterwards. Um, yeah, I listen to that one, mainly when it's just to do with artists, because they have one writer meeting a playwright, you know, an author meeting a playwright. or a, It's amazing. Hmm. 
it's it great when they do it. Marcel Zama was talking to I don't know who, but these the, because you get two creatives together, there's already one boundary that's mm. dropped. So you was you, you do it for you correspond art, art correspondent for BBC Radio London with Joanne Good, who did the night show, mm. and I met her during the night show because I moved over here. Uh, quite quickly, no friends, didn't know anyone, was working all the time in this gallery, couldn't sleep at night because you just yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Joanne Good would be my friend. Yeah. Then we met in yoga and through dogs and she <laughs> claimed not to like art and basically said, be my arts correspondent. Yeah, I was on her so. show a couple of years ago. Well, she would love you. Yeah. Was it about prisoners? It, no, it was, it was a thing called London Stories. I was in a um, a sort of not quite a play, but it was a, an experience. People would come in and they'd sit down, two just two people, two strangers who didn't know each other. They'd sit down next to me. I'd tell them their story. Then one would go to someone, another storyteller after. The other would go to someone else. So she would love that because yeah, she's a big was, fan of the Listening Project. It was and that's, on there. Did you know Big George? No, I didn't. Okay, because Joe does something that's happening actually tonight for prisoner prisoners. Oh, is she? Yeah. Oh wow. She does a speech at. Hanover Square, the church there. I think we digress. Yeah. But what this is, goes back to what you were saying about the art world being lovely. Once you start meeting one person in the art world, the whole thing opens up to yeah. you. And I think Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all of it has opened it up even more. So although there's a million internal eye rolls that happen when you mention any of the social media things, there's a lot of good that's come of it. Well, we're saying about Joe being doing stuff with prisoners... A cup, I mean, we've got number, I think number 17, episode 17 is out at the moment, which is the Art Car Boot Fair. Um, yeah, wasn't that terrific? Yeah. No, no, sorry, this week is a homeless one has just come out. Oh. Um, I've done a thing with um, the guys selling the calendars in Liverpool, um, at Spitalfields. I've been working with them for, for a, a cafe art. I've been working with them for a little while. So I've done one for them to help them sort of promote their, um, the calendar that they sell, which is done by the homeless guys. But... A few episodes ago was one called the Kessler Trust or the Kessler Trust. They put on a show at the South Bank every year, um, which is a show of prisoners' artwork, which is beautiful. I mean, I've, I've been going since I was released, and I was part of it when I was in. Um, so it's been a big part of my sort of arty life. Um, but yeah, every year the massive big show at the South Bank, all to do with prisoners. Really powerful. You'll have to. I'll, I'll send you information about it for when it's only just finished. It's normally around about September, October, November time. I'm but gazing like this because we just saw the collection of Ronnie Cray paintings. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah. And I have told you that we are, uh, people either want to kill us or they love us. And I think, and that's bank robber I'm talking about because it's much more controversial. Mm. People take strong stands on what they show. But we just saw the collection of those. And all I would say about it is however he presented in society when he looked at his paintings they looked like they were done by a five-year-old mm, definitely yeah, even so whether or not there was a learning disability there or or some kind of spectrum of autism i don't I, I know think where he was at the time they was probably using it just simply as art therapy but i mean honestly they were like children's paintings yeah and no, i've seen i've seen quite a few of them yeah, it's a bold move for <laughs> it's a bold move for Bank Robert to go there because that's like you say. That's, he is nothing if he's not bald. Yeah, I mean it's he better, loves to antagonise. It's better him go for the Ronnie Cray ones than the Charlie Bronson. You know the Charlie Bronson. I don't. It's not my. As you can tell by meeting me, right. I don't know if you've met Robin. I'm a nice one. Right, I haven't. I haven't met. I Robin's a scary-looking guy like this, in the front with dark glasses. Well, on. then you've got the guy who. Charlie Bronson, nice. he's been in... Sol Tom Chicken. Hardy. Yeah, he played him. Yeah, they, they come like from thatched cottages and yeah, landscapes. There's no... Did you see Jake and Dinos's Adolf Hitler paintings? I did. Oh, I did. That was brilliant. That was what half inspired me for the show that I was doing, where they got the Hitler um, landscape, and they was putting rainbows and gays and clowns and... Oh, I thought that was beautiful. I thought that was absolutely They're fabulous. And done, done it all more or less in secret without the art world realising that all of these Hitler watercolours are getting... Oh, it was stunning. It was absolutely stunning. I'm, I couldn't be a bigger fan of theirs if I tried. They're great. Particularly when you meet them and their peace, love and 
everything is exercised through the oral mm. work. I find them probably the not talking about nice people. Yeah. Nice people not because they're sheltered from the world, but nice people just who genuine. go in, just look genuine. at the things, the problems, and come out and go, you know what? I like my species. Yeah. I like humanity. Yeah. It has problems, big ones, but I still want to be part yeah, of it. Good. So they haven't the I'm um, couldn't say enough about the Chapman brothers. While we're talking of artists that you like, yeah. there's question number six is I have to adapt it slightly because they're directed at artists mainly. But five artists, past and present, if you was putting on a show, what five ideal artists would you like in that show? So probably the most difficult artists anyone. I mean, I would love to have a show with Francis Bacon, Carrie James Marshall, Retina, Basquiat, and Frida Kahlo. Yeah. I mean, and then I say Frida Kahlo and I'm like, oh, what about Eva Hess? What about Georgia yeah, O'Keeffe? Yeah, there's millions. What about Mona Hatoum? Yeah. There's but, I, but I also, with all of the bravado, I want a woman who can walk in. And, yeah. <laughs> and as soon as I say five, I'm like, oh God, I want a 90-year-old Alex Katz in there. Uh, well, and I want Maggie Hamling in there smoking her cigarette. Of course, of course. And so the Brilliant. second you start the list, you're like, no, no, and what yeah. about this one? Well, what There's if there was one artwork you could possess, not necessarily buy, if you could possess an artwork? Ooh. Can I live in a museum? If you want. <laughs> I'd probably live at the Tate Modern. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And since they added the third building in the tanks, I'm going to live in a collection. Yeah, I'm gonna I, I, I wasn't too keen on it. I know. I hear that from a lot of people and I'll, I'll let you I have it. I thought it was pretty... That's fine. I've heard that from a lot of people. I, I, I don't think there's much soul in there. That's okay. I've heard that. I've heard that. I'm going to live... Unless they start to show a piece of mine in there and it's the best that's ever been. So the piece I want is I want to live at the Tate Modern and I want my country home to be the Serpentine Gallery. You was, you was talking about being the BBC... London's art correspondent. How did Soho Radio come about, which you're doing currently? An absolute miracle, and I live and die for it. I haven't had... So the problem about being an artist and not practising as an artist is you're always a shadow artist. And you can... And a shadow artist is a, a term that came about through Julia Cameron's book... Um, is it called The Artist Handbook? The Artist's Way? I bought it. It came from yesterday. Yeah, great. And I used to teach that book. I, I, she was married to one of the film directors. I thought it was Scorsese, but it may have been another one. I didn't She's know that. She's just such a creative, wonderful, The Artist Way. I just got it's recommended a, the book, and it came from yesterday. I believe she taught art therapy. You'll love it. Mm. You'll love the morning pages. You'll love... Taking yourself I've on a shopping even, spree. I've flicked through. Wait for it. It's terrific. It's a great way of coming through creative blocks. Teach it to anyone. Creative blocks are real. Don't medicate mm. them. Work through them. Mm. So Julia Cameron introduced me to the term shadow artist. And a shadow artist is someone who didn't become an artist, but always lives vicariously through them. Mm. So um, there was a question you were going to ask me that I've oh, lost sorry. the track of. Just go back to it. Oh, I did ask about Soho Radio. Soho Radio was, I used to have a television show in Vancouver, came here, started the gallery, have worked in the galleries. I, I'm quite expansive, so I love galleries. I love gallery work, but I like being out in the world and I like being an educator. And one of my collectors knew that I wanted to do this. And yes, I think Television's changed. Radio's fabulous. I love Joe's show. Love the BBC. One of my collectors, who is a music producer, came to me and said, my friend owns Soho Radio. And I said, what? Because uh, I'd go by it all the time. We mm. live around there. And anyway, my, one of my collectors, I got a Kurt Cobain by Russell Young for her, wow. ultimately. Wow. It was a massive gift. And to, at the moment, I'm living and dying for it. Yeah. I could stay up all night formatting shows. I just formatted a Christmas show last night, and it was after seeing the Peanuts show at Somerset House. Mm -hmm. One of the boys from MFA, Maddox Fine Art, 
suggested we go see Charlie Brown. I'm thinking, sure. And not having the right attitude when I walked in. That can be good sometimes. I, I was embarrassed. Luckily, I hadn't vocalized it. But even when I got there, the girl at the desk was, it's not my thing. And I was like, oh, it's not my thing either. But, you know, these boys want to go. And all you've done, you've created a bigger void between expectation and reality. So when they I'm going to back today after I see you. Excellent. And then I presented, I went home and wrote to Will Fitzpatrick mm. at Soho Radio, who's the producer of Ben Luke and Art Newspaper and all the things we talked about. This is my Christmas show. And it was about animation and black and white being vehicles for us to speak more personally to each other mm. because you don't have to argue your point. So when you don't cast human beings and you do animation or you do black and white, the viewer instantly knows we're stepping out of reality yeah. and they're in a fantasy. Yeah. And they'll let you say things in a fantasy that is animation. Yeah. I forgot that Charlie Brown went to Vietnam, that know. Charlie Brown did psychoanalysis, that Charlie Brown was part of the feminist movement. And through Charlie Brown's in the four-frame peanut comics, he could say anything. So Soho Radio, I put I, anyone who's anti-Christmas, my show will play out on Christmas Day. I have the Peanuts Christmas. <laughs> then I have the Muppets Christmas, nice. Miss Piggy and Kermit. <laughs> then I have Dr. Seuss's Christmas. And my finishing format in the last half hour will be Tim Burton's Excellent. Christmas, which I don't have yet. Yeah. With a nod to... It's a Wonderful Life yeah, by yeah, Frank yeah, Capra, yeah, yeah. which I can't live without. Yeah. The last question is, if you wasn't working in visual arts, where would you like to work? It would have to be in the art world. It would have to either be in... As I... You know, I, well, let me answer the question more precisely. You can't work in visual arts in every city in the world. Mm. There's a few cities in the world that you're allowed to work in visual arts because there's an industry. Mm. And that's a massive privilege. And um, you may have noticed my accent is in English. Mm. I wasn't born here. But I did come to London because it's one of the places that you can have a life in the art world. Yeah. So... And you hit I've it been at in, the right time as well, didn't you, really? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Remind of me change. of that when I have all my battle scars <laughs> on my face. <laughs> Without battle scars, you haven't been in the battle. Uh, so I think I've had to do that. And I think I have worked in fashion PR. I've worked in television. I've worked for dance companies like mm. Ballet BC. Uh, I've worked in film and television. So I've had to do it. Mm. But again, thank you, London, for having a vibrant art scene. Thank you for all the people who started the Turner Prize, who started the Tate Britain, who started Freeze. And and batted down all the cynicism around contemporary yeah. art. Thank you for the people who wrote back to you. Mm. Because now in London, you don't have to have a struggle about Damien Hirst's. No. Everybody knows that that's contemporary art. Yeah. The, fought, the fight's been this fought. Is beautiful, yeah. We're now a world-class art city. Yeah. And, and there's no battle with people saying, I could do that. Yeah. That's not a conversation for a London market. It's a... It's a Art market so probably if I couldn't work here in the art world, I'd have to move somewhere else or work in a creative industry. And finally, just where can people see you? Obviously at Soho Radio. Maeve at Maeve Doyle Art. And that's M-A-E-V-E. M-A-E-V-E. At M-A-E-V-E D-O-Y-L-E Art. Or on social media at Maeve Doyle dot Art. It's beautiful. What it's a pleasure end. it's been. Will you be on my show? By all means. Good. First week in January, second Love week in to. January. Check Love your calendar. Great to. meeting you, Gary. I've had Thank fun. You. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for making the time. There we go. What a great conversation that is with Maeve Doyle. And when I mentioned to some of those who recommended I get Maeve on the podcast about how well I got on with her, they all said the same thing. You speak to her for 10 minutes, it feels like you've known her for five years. And a couple of days after recording this podcast, Maeve was due to record one of her private view shows for Soho Radio. And I told Maeve my story about how I got into art, and she thought it was something that her listeners might like to hear. And I hope she's right, because it came out on Christmas Day. So if you haven't listened to it yet, 
go over to either Soho Radio or Maeve Doyle's website, mavedoyle.art, and have a listen for yourself. But getting back to Maeve's story, what a career she's had in the art world. And being a part of the bank robber gallery at that time. Man, I bet that was one experience after another. And now being part of the Maddox Gallery, which is growing at quite an incredible rate. Last year I had three of Maddox Gallery's artists on my Face Value 2 show. That was Dan Baldwin, Connor Brothers and Brian Simonson. And after the podcast, Maeve introduced me to Mila Alexander. She's a photorealist painter and she's agreed to be in Face Value 3. I gave Maeve one of the dark stars that I mentioned on last week's podcast. And just by chance, Maeve was appearing on BBC Radio London a couple of days later, coincidentally talking about art gifts for Christmas. And just her talking about them on the radio led to the sale of another three or four. So thank you very much, Miss Doyle. And talking of the dark stars, Chris Glasson from Hardcore Listening Podcast was talking about them with Scroobius Pip on their annual drunk cast, which was a nice little surprise. I'm going to be working with Barbed Wire a lot this year in a couple of different guises, one of them being called Prison Eons. It's Prison Eons, but making it sound like Prison Neons. It's based around those neon signs you get outside a hotel where they would tell you that there's vacancies, but at a flick of a switch, it'd say no vacancies. I like the idea of a positive message being turned into a negative message at the flick of a switch. We generally associate that sort of thing with MPs. One week they're telling us of their stance on the subject, and the next week it's changed. So like the no vacancies sign, I wanted to make a neon that expressed an opinion. And in the background was the opposing phrase, turned off, just waiting to be switched on at the flick of a switch. But a couple of years ago, I was in the workshop of neon master craftsman Corti. Corti donated a beautiful neon to face value one, which a gang of bikers come and smashed during the private view with a baseball bat. It was all a performance, of course. But Corti is extremely passionate and protective about neon and its craft. And to a certain extent, dislikes its constant use as a medium in the art world by non-neon artists. But he told me that just as I was about to mention my idea to him. And he spoke with so much passion on that subject, I thought this really isn't the right time to ask him a bit of advice about my idea. But with Corti's words in mind, my mind wandered onto some artwork I made with coloured barbed wire a few years previous. So I thought, why not manipulate the barbed wire to make it look like neon signage? with a possible Tromloy effect as its neon illumination. So that's the sort of artwork I'm going to be producing shortly. Prison Eons. And Courtney has already agreed to be on the podcast. He's a great guy and that will be an excellent podcast. But bringing it back to Maeve Doyle and this week's episode, just before I go, to find out more about Maeve, you can go to her website, which is www.mavedoyleart.com or her Instagram page is Doyle. Dot art, and you can listen to a private view show on Soho Radio. And as I say every week, if you could leave a comment wherever you listen to this podcast, that would be great. If you could share it, tell people about the podcast, even better. If you want to contact me, if you want to contact me on any of the social medias, it is Mizog Art, M I Z O G A R T, and the website is www.mizogart.com. So thanks for listening, and until next week. Tada. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.